Hello, and welcome to Spotlight on the Faith. I'm Deacon Tim Criswell, your host, and we're here to focus on the gifts and talents the people of Western New York bring to their ministry. Our guests today are seven men who recently received their call to orders for the permanent diaconate. They're joining us to share what a deacon is and what their personal discernment was to step forward and enter formation. The process itself takes a minimum of five years, but coming to the point of answering the call to enter formation can take many more years, as we'll learn today. So I'm delighted to welcome Kevin Barron, Todd Bowman, Jim Cantella, Marty Hackford, Tommy LaBelle, John Phillips, and John Rhine. We'll begin with Kevin. Kevin, could you tell us about yourself, your family, your home parish, and your profession? Well, I will start with the last question first. I am currently the administrator for the Cardinal O'Hara Retirement Residence for retired priests within the diocese. I've been doing that for just under two years. For 20 years previous to that, I was a director of sales for a large food service organization. So I've been in hospitality most of my life, and I, I feel like there's a natural parallel to hospitality to the diaconate in general. And uh, a little bit about myself. I'm married for, uh, it'll be 31 years, to, to my wife, Kathy. I have two adult daughters, Carly and Abby. My oldest daughter, Carly, is married. Our original parish where I met my wife was St. Catherine of Siena, which was in West Seneca. And we are now currently at uh, St. Vincent de Paul in Elma. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Uh, Todd, tell me about yourself. Hello, my name is uh, Todd Bowman. I belong to uh, Resurrection Parish in Batavia. Um, I am a religion teacher at Notre Dame. I originally started at St. Joe's where I taught for 21 years, and then I uh, moved over to uh, Notre Dame, and I've been there for three years. Um, I have been married to my wife, Mary Ann, for almost 31 years. It'll be 31 years this April 11th. Um, I have one son. His uh, name is Sammy. He is 21 years old. And um, that's about it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Todd. Uh, Jim, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm Jim Cantella. I'm uh, from the Catholic uh, Central Niagara Catholic family, family number 10. We're one of the pilot programs, and St. Brendan on the Lake is uh, my home parish. I'm married for 35 years and have four kids, ages 33 through 19, and have three grandkids and a fourth one on the way. And for 33 years, I was a middle school teacher of math and have recently retired. And now I'm a part-time butcher and uh, keep busy with many other things. Great, Jim. Do you get a discount on meat? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk. Thanks, Jim. Marty, tell me something about yourself. Hello, my name is Marty Hackford. My wife, Elaine, and I have been married for 31-plus years. We have three boys together. Uh, 28 years old, 26 and 24. My middle son is married. I have one grandchild and another one on the way. I've been in the uh, mortgage banking business for over 30 years. My current uh, company for 28 plus, and I bought that company about 14 years ago. Great. Thanks, Marty. Uh, Tommy, tell me about yourself. Hi, Tommy LaBelle. I'm 46 years old. I'm married. I have four teenage children. Grew up in the city of Buffalo with uh, St. Lawrence Parish and then moved. And I, now I split my time between St. Bernadette's in Orchard Park and Our Lady of Perpetual Help and the old First Ward in the city of Buffalo. Been a paramedic and a flight medic with Mercy Flight for 25 years and a police officer will be 20 years this December. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. John Phillips. 
tell me about yourself. Hi, I'm John Phillips from St. Raphael's Parish in Niagara Falls. I have three grown children, Jessica, 26, Dylan, 28, and Justin, 29. I'm an engineering manager at a small manufacturing facility in Tonawanda, New York. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. John Ryan. Hi, Deacon Tim. My name is John Ryan, and I live in East Aurora. My home parish is the Nativity of Our Lord, and that's in Orchard Park. I'm a retired engineer, and I spent my career in the automotive safety product uh, business. Uh, for, that was about first eight years, and then the balance of my career was uh, in toy development or product design and development, and that was for about 28 years. I've been married uh, to my wife, Mary, for 36 years. We have five adult children, uh, ages ranging from 24 to 34. And in, in my job, I moved around quite a bit, and we dropped kids off wherever we went. So our oldest son lives in California. Our three daughters are living in various locations in New York State. And our youngest son uh, lives in New Jersey. Three oldest of our children are married, and we have four grandchildren with uh, one more on the way, just weeks away. Great. Thanks, John. What you hear is uh, seven very different men, uh, very different backgrounds coming from different areas, uh, family men uh, that they have in common. But what they have most in common, too, is the fact that they have a faith, and they've had a faith that's called them to become a permanent deacon. And even the backgrounds they've, as administrator to retired priests, religion teachers, re retired teacher, insurance, paramedic, police, uh, and engineers, they've all had some type of ministry. Each one of those professions has some type of ministry dealing with people. And so that really that ministry of dealing with people has really transferred into how they can bring people closer to God in the church. Uh, so what we're going to do today is, right now, we're just going to ask a few questions about what is a deacon? And I invite anybody just to uh, jump in and answer from their perspective when they first heard about the diaconate and what they thought it was and what they saw to them. What is a deacon to you? This is Todd. A deacon um, is someone who serves, someone who serves in his parish, someone who serves in his community and uh, helps others grow, possibly grow closer to God, um, definitely in the church, just to help them in any way that they need help. Great, thanks. Now you say serves in the community, Todd. Does it have to be church-related once no. into the community. So it could be doing anything. Correct. Okay, yes. working at a public soup kitchen or government-funded soup kitchen. It's just about being presence and bringing Christ's presence to the people. Correct. Okay, thanks. Great, Todd. Yeah, Kevin. I'll just sort of piggyback on what Todd said. I really like what he said about a deacon's role is to serve. I know that when I was first really became aware of deacons, as I was even contemplating it, I always sort of looked at them as priestly because I didn't really know what they did. I only saw them on the altar. So as I've gotten to understand the role better and through formation, there's this beautiful connection piece that I really see the role of the deacon is somebody who connects the parish to the people. And that's a beautiful ministry and it's a beautiful thing to do. And like Todd said, you know, you can serve out on the street and serve the most needy. You can, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to serve because there's a lot of people who need it. Great. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Tommy. I always looked at the diaconate as being a mediator between God and his people. 
I kind of like to think of things in stories. I, my fellow uh, classmates call me the storyteller. And I always kind of look at it kind of like this. Imagine if you're a parent and your child is, he's off, he's left, he or she has left the house and they have nothing to do with you. They won't come to you for help. Maybe they're struggling, maybe they're starving, they're hungry, maybe they're cold, uh, maybe they're involved in all kinds of different things. And then here comes a stranger that's there to reaffirm the relationship that that child has with their parent, to get that child to come back to the parent, to ask the parent for help, because there's nothing I wouldn't do for my child. And that's what I think this role of a deacon, is to try to reestablish that relationship with people that are lost. Maybe they don't know God exists, maybe they forgot how valuable they are just by being born. Maybe they're in a state of life where they just need somebody to just be there and not do anything, just be there. And that's what I think the role of the deacon is. That's great, Tommy, because you're, you're right. It's about serving first the fundamental foundational needs of the individual before we try to convert anybody or bring them closer to God. It's what is their immediate need? And many times there's people like that who are in a desperate situation. They just need that embrace, that help. I think I got a lot of my experience of what a deacon was, or should I say God's teaching as a teacher, especially those kids who were lost or troubled or, or lonely and just needed somebody to tell them that they're loved, that they're cared for, somebody just to listen to them like Tommy was saying. It's just, I think back a lot of those kids and even families, I didn't even know I was helping, or, but just being there for them. It's just sort of that God calling on me, you know, be there for those lost ones, those on the outskirts that nobody else seems to care about and let them know they are cared for. And I, I think that's what I see my our role, our role as deacons, to go out and find those lost, bring them back, you know, let them hear God, let them hear Jesus, tell them they're loved. That's great. Thanks a lot, Jim. I think uh, being a deacon a lot of times is being the hands and feet for Christ on the ground for others, but not letting them know that that's what you're there for. And like some of the classmates said, just be their friend. Sometimes people are just looking for you to listen. So it's more important to listen and then perhaps, you know, bring them back slowly. If you can get them back to the church, give them the basics, and they'll probably remember perhaps where they came from or maybe if they're a convert, what they've missed. Great. Thanks, Marty. I think to better understand the role of a deacon, we can go back to its origin in the early church when there were not enough facilitators to keep up with the work as the number of disciples grew. In Acts, it talks about the daily distribution of bread, that they were just falling behind in their work. And so what the other fellows have spoken about, you know, just being a servant, was exemplified by this early work. Without having enough administration, I'll say, they summoned up seven from the disciples who could help. You know, today that has evolved. Today, deacons can be seen as, you know, really two roles like the other fellows have suggested, you know, certainly help with the liturgical portions and assisting the parish, but then secondarily, just having a ministry of charity, whether that's visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, or other ministries I'm sure that we'll discover as the conversation goes on today. Great. Thanks a lot, John. As you're right, as you know, those seven were first called, they came from the community and from the public, and they were pulled into the faith and trying to help others, but they kind of still kept two feet you know, one, one in the community and then one in the, the part of the church. So this is one of my favorite questions. I always like to ask when I sit down and talk to guys when they first inquire about the diaconate, because everybody has a different story, and some are very personal, a lot of them are very touching, 
But I just, this is my favorite part. And guys, I'd like to ask you, why do you feel God chose you to follow this path of the diaconate? Why you? Tim, I'll, I, I had somebody recently ask me, did you feel like you were called to the diaconate? And for me, that sort of generates some sort of Moses and burning bush calling with this deep voice rumbling from the heavens. And I really wasn't called to the diaconate, but I was invited. And there was a deacon at our church uh, where Marty and I both go, and he repeatedly invited me and kept inviting me and thought that I had something to offer. And it took me a while to answer that. Maybe that was my calling. Maybe that was God calling me through him. But it really started with an invitation. And it was a beautiful thing because... I think he saw something in me that at the time I didn't see it in myself. And uh, now I'm, I'm really grateful for his persistence. That's wonderful, Kevin. Thanks for sharing that. Hi, this is John. Mine was a little bit more pronounced. About 10 years ago, I felt the calling. I actually heard it in a prayer. In answer to my prayer, I asked God what he wanted me to do with the rest of my life. He said, become a deacon. And they have point, I think my uh, understanding of a deacon was not as developed as it is right now, but it's been a 10-year journey for me to um, grow to where I'm at right now. It's been a 10-year spiritual journey, and I've come to learn quite a bit more that we're here to actually serve other peoples, not only in the liturgy, but out on the um, streets serving people in need and bringing them closer to God. Great. Thanks, John. That's a good question to ask. And I'm not worthy. I'm not good. I'm not, it's, it's only by the grace of God and experiences and wisdom he's given me and shown me that I have that. I know I'm supposed to be a deacon. I feel that I'm called to serve others. You know, it's not me, though. <laughs> you know, I'm not worthy. But God uses a lot of uh, broken people to do some amazing things. And it's the trust in Jesus that we are doing what his call is for us. His plan is much better than our plans could ever be. We just have to trust in that. The more I can trust, the better the feeling is. Good. Thanks. Very well said, Jim. And that's many times we may have been raised to take care of yourself and to create your family and take care of them and do it all on your own, not realizing that there was always God and Jesus by your side, really steering the ship. And once you've realized that in your life and you can give that up about trying to be in control, you'll be a lot better off. Yeah, and that can be a difficult thing, can it, Marty? Because look at I'm looking at a bunch of guys. You have families, and you're responsible for those families. So to just give yourself over to God and trust in someone else, that, uh, that can be a struggle sometimes. Yeah, so my wife made me do this. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, so, so to, to answer your question, why do we feel that we've been called? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a priest. And when I was 18 years old, I really battled with, because uh, I just wasn't feeling, I just wasn't feeling that calling. And I was at St. Michael's, I never forget, it was, it was a nice August day, it was at St. Michael's Church, right down here, downtown, kneeling before the statue of, of St. Michael, and I'm praying to look, look, I'm, I'm ending high school, where do I go? Just then, police cars came by, lights and sirens. Like, and I felt this overwhelming sense of peace. This is where I need to serve God right now. And then five years ago, but that, I mean, that feeling of wanting to be involved, wanting to do more in the church was always there. I just didn't know what. Well, about five years ago, six years ago, I think it was, uh, we're at Mass, and there was a deacon who was preaching, and my wife hits me in the ribs with her elbow and says, you need to be doing that. And 
I had made a phone call and I talked to um, the guy that was just before you, your predecessor, and he gave me your phone number. And that's the first time I talked to you. And then I, I met you at the Christ the King. And next thing you know, I'm walking out with paperwork. It's like, I didn't even ask for this. You know. And um, I'm but, a fisherman by yeah, trade. <laughs> right, yeah. But, you know, yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, the thing is that the answer to your question has changed from over the past five years. And I think with the most profound moment for me throughout this to answer your question was my prayer life has changed. My prayer life started very vertical, a quiet time you know, a lot of devotions and rosaries and all of us, what I consider the Catholic stuff, you know, and which is good stuff, you know, but now towards the end, it's really changed to help me to open up so that I have no blocks. Like, how can I be a true instrument for Christ for others? So it seems like my prayer life has gone horizontal rather than vertical. And, and I think that's, that transformation is really my, my confirmation. That this is what I'm called to do, that my, my prayer life has transformed. Great. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. I can see the path that God has taken me on. I grew up in the Protestant faith. We went to church regularly every Sunday. And uh, my parents uh, got divorced, and at that point we stopped going to church until I met my wife, Marianne. And at that point, um, she uh, started bringing me to uh, her church, and she was raised in the Catholic faith. So uh, I ended up converting to the Catholic faith. We ended up getting married. I went on to get a job in a Catholic school. Eventually, I got a job as the religion teacher, and now I'm teaching at Notre Dame as a religion teacher as well. I went on to become a Eucharistic minister, a lector, so I can see the path that God has taken me on from uh, my childhood to where I am right now. I feel that God wants more of me so that's why I answered this call to the diaconate. I took a course at Christ the King, and I had a little pamphlet, and, and on there was the diaconate, and uh, that's when I contacted you, Deacon Tim, and uh, five years later, here I am. <laughs> and time sure has flying, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's beautiful, Todd. So you know, I hear a lot of different stories and a lot of different, you know, some some points that maybe there were some aha moments, but for you guys, I'm hearing a lot of the, it's been a long time. It's been percolating for many years. Up into that point of answering that call, what did you wrestle with? What was that wrestling like? To You know, you're constantly hearing God's, you know, kind of pecking at you and say, step forward, step forward. You got that I'm not worthy feeling. And But what was that wrestling like, Make, doing that, making that decision? Yeah, so I mean, for the couple of decades, it was I was never satisfied. I always wanted to do more in the church, no matter what I got involved in. I was never satisfied. I was constantly looking for more. That was my big wrestle. Oh, interesting. Um, as Kevin mentioned earlier, he didn't feel called. Neither did I. We were both invited, and I attended a seminar uh, to talk about the diaconate. And I walked out of that and looked at my wife and said, "Yeah, okay, that's great." And did nothing and figured out that no answer is an answer, right? It's a no. And every week I'd go to church and my shoulders were heavy. And I think it was God tapping me on the shoulder going, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Are you just going to do whatever else does, get material things, get more money, go this, do that, play golf all the time? Um, and I realized that, uh, no, there has to be more to it than that. And that's why I'm giving 
what I call the rest of my life. I look at the first third, second third, and now the third third of my life to do more and try to bring people back to him. And if I can help a handful of people, then I feel I've done what he's called me to do. Great. Kevin, share, share with me that wrestling. Well, it's ironic, really, that you used the analogy of wrestling because I remember, so, so two things. One, my wife years ago asked me, and she was the one who really brought me back to the faith after being card-carrying atheist for about eight years of my early 20s. But she asked me years ago, she said, when you think of your relationship with God, she said, do you picture it like sitting in a field having a conversation? Do you see it more as like a waltz, like this dance? And I said, well, you know like the cage matches where they throw the chairs over the cage? And I said, that's probably more my relationship with God right now. And it was really, uh, it, was, it was early on, it was a real struggle. Then I, 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 you know, my faith grew and it got better. But when you talked about this, when I was finally invited... I sat on the sidelines for five years like Marty did, and I wrestled with it, and I wrestled, and Jim brought up the term unworthiness earlier, that I just sat on the sidelines for five years saying, holy men are deacons, not guys like me. There are better men for this than me. And I remember just wrestling with that. That was my wrestling, really, was five years of, of contemplating unworthiness. And then when I finally began, God provided me a lot of grace. So a lot of that language and a lot of that dialogue inside my head he graced me to sort of, you know, put that away. And it's been a really beautiful process. But uh, that sense of unworthiness is not uncommon, even among talking to the other guys in formation that we all, at different points and moments at least, have struggled with that idea. Yeah, and I think you guys would all agree that the unworthiness is you're in good company because I think there were other 12 other men that I know of that were, when Jesus called them, none of them were worthy and none of them were holy men either. And uh, look how they made out. They did okay. Early on in my wrestling, it was more my ego. You know, I thought I knew better. You know, God didn't know. I, I didn't have that trust in him. And, you know, and, and all these other people were telling me. I just, I just couldn't let go. I didn't have an open heart. So I got to say, I had a little different aha moment. God dropped a truck on me, literally. My uh, family was involved in 2006. A semi fell off of a overpass uh, and landed on top of my family's van. And none of us should be alive. But I don't remember anything except waking up in mercy flight. And it was the first time in my life I can remember I totally trusted and just gave everything over to God. And that feeling and just remembering him, that feeling said, I've got you, I've got you. And that opened up my heart. Like, okay, God really did get me through this. Hey, my whole family, all right, maybe I should listen. Maybe I should feel. And, and that was my, the start of my discernment and uh, many others. And then going for World Youth Day with a... Uh, Pope Francis, it was all those people, just how much I could help. And it was not something for me, it was for Jesus. And just once I opened my heart, you know, and that wasn't me anymore, my ego, which I still always have issues with the ego, but keep praying by the grace of God, he knows better. <laughs> just let him That's take right. over. Thanks, Jim. That's a beautiful story. We're only human, right? And, and we're always going to wrestle with that. Beautiful story. Thanks. My aha moment came about four years into the program. I was concerned at that time that working for the parish and being on the altar all the time would take away from the mass time that I had with my wife. You know, we held our attendance at mass as a very special time together and regarded that you know, my first vow was to my marriage, and I didn't want anything that I would do subsequently to compete with that. And 
as things went along, I, I realized that formation wasn't just forming me. It was also having an influence on Mary because we were partnering in this. Uh, I was doing the homework, honest guys. I was doing that all myself. But, but Mary was helping me <laughs> order books and proofread papers and critiquing my homily and also you know, practicing praying the liturgy of the hours. And the activity brought us together. And like I said, like after four years in the program, it began to occur to me that what I thought was going to take us apart was actually bringing us together. And as formations you know, was coming to an end here, Mary said to me recently, you know, I don't want this to stop because if you don't continue on with something as a product of this, we might go back to just being normal. So that certainly, you know, just getting that direction from her certainly became my aha moment and further solidifying what it was that I was to do going forward. Thanks, John. That's, I really like that story. That's very nice. Yeah, so at the beginning, it was likewise with Kevin and a few other guys here. It's unworthiness. Definitely, I, I went first to the first diaconate informational meeting, and I walked out of there thinking, wow, I am such an ignorant Catholic. I don't know anything about my faith. And it really took me uh, about five years of discerning that process before I came back and got into the program. So it's been, like I said, a quite a long journey for me, but I'm glad I'm here. And, and don't don't feel bad, John, because I've been ordained almost 14 years, and I still wake up in the morning and say, "Well, am I an ignorant Catholic?" <laughs> so, guys, tell me. I want to know: Is there any religious people, or even figures, or role models, and? Religious may even just be parents or family or friends that really inspired you to step forward to become a deacon, to to answer the call. Uh, Tim, I I can tell you I was a cradle Catholic. I had two great uncles who were Catholic priests, and my wife's uh, uncle was a deacon, and he actually baptized uh, my three boys. And Tommy mentioned, you know, thoughts of becoming a priest at one point. I, I guess I can say I had that because I went to a Catholic school because I went from kindergarten to eighth grade. You know, you, I think every boy has that thought. But I look back on my life and I, I see, you know, the ups and downs of the Catholic Church. And I've seen some people step away and we've all said it, we're not worthy of this call. And I've seen some people step away from the church and what's frustrating to me is they're looking at that human being who made a mistake and not at the Catholic Church and not at Jesus Christ. And I heard it on Catholic radio once. Uh, Do you leave Jesus over Judas? And that has stuck with me for the past seven or eight years. And I've shared it a few times, and you've got to share it in the right atmosphere. But I want to make people think about that and realize that it's Jesus Christ, it's your Savior, our Savior that you're going after. It's not the church here on earth. It's more than that. I switched churches about 20 years ago and met a whole bunch of people, families, and realized that, wow, you could have that calling, you can have the church, you can be very, have a relationship with Christ and still be the same person. Because I used to look at those people and say, oh, they're, they're holier than, than I. And I realized through meeting them, and now 
you know, no three or four other deacons along the way. As we've all said, we don't feel worthy, but through this, this is why it's a five-year process uh, of going through it, because you do change through those five years. I think uh, everybody here would agree that our local uh, Father Baker is a terrific example of somebody that inspires us all to want to help and serve others. Um, He focused definitely on that, especially on the marginalized. And what made him really cool was that he multiplied his ability through his faith. You know, he was a very capable man by himself, but it it was in those moments where he just totally leaned on God to make something happen for the benefit of the of others. You can't help but be inspired by that. And I guess for me personally, my spiritual director, Father Tom Slon, has been a very good guide, very effective guide as I went through the discernment process. Great. Thanks, John. So as far as somebody that helped me, at key moments, actually, I would I would probably say my mom was such an influential figure in my Catholic faith that even when I was running through the lie of my life for several years being an atheist, if somebody would have asked me, well, what happens to your mom when she dies? I would say, no, she goes to heaven, you know, but, but I'm an atheist. <laughs> so uh, because she was just one of those people who, and, and still is, very humble, just went to daily mass every day, said a rosary every day. And the way she interacted with people was very Christ-like. And she never pushed it. She never drove it home. She just lived her life accordingly. And I think the blessing is is that God puts people in our life at these sort of critical turnstiles when we're there. And I remember when I was just rediscovering my faith, my wife was really helping me. I met um, Father Mike Martin, who was a Franciscan out on Athol Springs, and he was a teacher out there. And he just really helped me in those very early stages of the rediscovery of my faith, that he was the right person in the right moment that God put in my life that re-invited me back into the family of believers. Great. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. So I, a lot of priests were, have been involved in my life from a very, very early age. My grandmother and her twin sister were the cooks at Immaculate Conception for 55 years. Well, anybody that's had my grandmother's cooking, you can't just do it for five days. So they come over the house on the weekends as well. So the whole family's together on Sundays, but the priest would be there, and including the priest that baptized me, uh, Father Joe Bizonette, and it was uh, very, very close with me, and I spent a lot of time with him. And then Father Richard DiGiulio, and then but my father uh, was a, um, is Third Order Dominican and would bring me to his meetings at Coronation on the west side of Buffalo on Wednesdays from a very, very early age and instilled in us a very, I shouldn't say regimented, but for lack of better terms, a regimented prayer life uh, from toddler age, and it carried all the way through. And I think that's what really set the foundation, really helped me get over the hump. Good deep family roots. Right. That's great, Tommy. That's good to hear. My wife was probably my biggest inspiration. She's the one who introduced me to uh, to the Catholic faith. But... Um, her whole, um, her whole family, all of her aunts and uncles and her parents and her cousins were all very devout Catholics, and I would see them at church all the time, um, and especially my in-laws, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. They not only attended Mass every Sunday, but they lived the Gospels, and especially my father-in-law, who was probably the kindest man I could ever meet. 
and uh, ended up being my sponsor when I converted to Catholicism. There's a number of people along my uh, journey, all the people that I taught with at St. Joseph's School, and um, Monsignor McCarthy, who is the one who converted me, uh, with a little trickery, (laughs) 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 And, and just the people in my parish were all inspirations to me. Thank you, Todd. As we all heard, it takes support and presence of the family to discern your calling. Well, this concludes our episode of Spotlight on the Faith. I hope you tune in to our next episode, where we will continue our conversation with our seven guests from today as we begin to explore the formation process itself. I want to take a moment to thank you for joining us today. This is Deacon Tim Criswell, your host, and may God bless you and protect you until you hear from us again. And remember, keep your spotlight on the faith.